Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Eric Johansson. That's Nathan Fox from LSATdemon.com and weekly podcast Thinking LSAT. We've got an email here from Marvin. It says, Dear LSAT Demon, what ultimately is the admissions fate of most splitters? That is, low GPA, say below 3.0, and high LSAT, say 175 plus. Holding other variables constant, like personal statements, LORs, resumes, are splitters significantly disadvantaged in the applicant pool for top 14 law schools? Should splitters even apply to such law schools as Harvard, Stanford, and Yale? What are your thoughts about splitters who hope to earn excellent 1L grades after matriculating to a law school with a full or near full ride scholarship and transfer to a higher ranked school? Okay, so that's a totally separate issue. I mean, yeah. you're talking about could splitters do that? Well, splitters could do that just as well, I think, as anybody else. I, in fact, maybe better because they don't know how you're going to perform in law school. They see your bad grades and they go, oh yeah, I'm kind of worried about, about this one. And so, but I mean, by the time you're just, you're transferring, you're transferring with great, I mean, that's by definition, you have to just kill it in law school if you're going to transfer. So we'll talk about that transfer a little bit by the transfer issue a little bit by looking at the 509s. And I don't know, where do you want to start with splitters? Um, yeah, well, I mean, let's talk about splitters chances at top schools. Okay. There's different flavors of splitter, right? Marvin asks, Marvin asks about low GPA, high LSAT splitters. Yep. But specifically, Marvin says low, low GPA, like 3.0. Okay. That is... I think realistic, like that's a long shot for top 14. If you just look at the numbers of who's getting in, do splitters, do splitters get in? Like, yeah, absolutely. But you kind of, I think we have to set a lower range on what we're talking about for GPA. Not to say that some 3.0s don't get in, but that is quite low for the top schools. Quite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we built a tool where everybody can find this data. Um, it, it's at lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. I, I want to play around a little bit with Marvin's numbers. Marvin said, hey, with a 3.0 and a 175, um, what would my chances be? Uh, and yeah, by default, those chances, they, they look pretty bad. Um, the estimator, if you put in 3.0 and 175, it's telling you that Scholarships are, it, it's, it's not an admissions predictor. It's just a scholarship predictor. And it's for most of the schools in the top 14, it's telling you that you're not likely to get any scholarship at all, which we take as, well, if I'm not getting any tuition discount, I don't want, I can't go to that school anyway. So it's, it, I think it's really pretty unlikely. Yeah. The, I'm, I'm just looking, go ahead. I'm as long as we're talking about Yale, I'm looking at Yale's page on lsd.law yeah. and specifically at their admitted student data, which is self-reported for last year's cycle, 22, 23. Yep. And of the self-reported data, the lowest GPA is a 3.58 with a literal 180 LSAT. At Yale. At Yale. Yeah. So the bottom of the top 14 is UCLA right now. Changes all the time. Um, UCLA had a 171 median and a 3.9 median GPA. The scholarship estimator does project a small scholarship to UCLA. 
Um, what do the LSD numbers say for UCLA, though? Well, far more people get rejected than get accepted with a 3.0 or below. And that's actually true of people below a 3.5. There yep. are far more red dots than there are green dots across yep. the spectrum. Yeah. And what, but we do see a couple outliers. Sure. Yeah. We've got, there's, there are people with acceptances. Self-reported acceptances. Self-reported in, in the twos. Yeah. I see a 2.4. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I see a whole lot more people getting denied with splits like that, but yep. I do see a 174, 2.4. I see a. 171, 2.9. Clicking through to their profiles, it looks like they're all URM. Okay, interesting. Uh, and that's self-reported information yep. there as well. Okay, fascinating. Um, so how would you make the decision if you were Marvin? Let's say you did have 3.0, 175. How would you decide which schools you were going to apply to? I guess you would. It seems like those LSD.law pages are pretty useful if you can look through and get a sense of you have to trust the the self-reported data, I guess. But if it if it does look like those are all URM um, self-reported, then probably that's kind of how it works. Yeah, I think. Well, so when I was deciding on my list of schools to apply to, relied on LSAT Demon Scholarship Estimator, plugged in my numbers, tried to get a range of schools that were likely to offer me a good scholarship. Yep. One or two reaches. A couple schools that I considered safe, which I end up getting waitlisted at because of yield protection. Yeah. Um, but also looking at the LSD.law numbers to see, hey, where am I on their admissions graphs? And then also there is some self-reported data on LSD.law for you can you can look up the list of accepted students and kind of filter or or sort by GPA and LSAT and try okay. to see, hey, people in my range what kind of scholarship did they self-report? So see. you can you can get pretty granular with that data to the extent that you trust it, which seems fairly good in, in some cases, particularly for a school like UCLA that gets lots of applicants. I th I think the key is still apply broadly. Yeah, that for sure. I would say I would say get you know make sure you really are maxing out that LSAT. Um, the GPA is, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Really. That's fixed, right? Sunk cost, but LSAT, you can change your LSAT. And so if you can really grind it out to get that 175 or whatever that you're looking for, <laughs> yes, you are going to be significantly disadvantaged at, especially at the top of that range, because, you know, when, when a school gets, if they're going to deny a bunch of like 3.7, 170s, then you know, why, why would they admit a 3.0175? It just does, it doesn't seem like a likely trade-off that they're going to make. Yeah. And I, and I certainly don't think they're going to do it for scholarship money. URM could definitely change that. I think, especially at the highest tiers, I think that that might make a big difference in the price that the schools are willing to charge. Yep. Um, and again, you know, you never know until you apply. So I think you should apply broadly with the best LSAT you can get and then weigh your offers. If you end up making a decision like Eric did this last cycle, Eric just decided that none of the offers were worth it for him. And 
law school's always going to be there and I can just keep working for a while and I'll decide to reapply uh, potentially down the road or not because the option yep. is always going to be there. I think that was the most savvy thing that you, you know, that saying no, that walking away is and saying, no, that's just not a good price for me. I can't do that. Yeah. Um, really sensible choice. Yeah. And, and I'll say this about, I'll say this about someone who is a splitter or really anybody who's thinking about applying. Um, when you apply broadly, you're going to get some, some surprises in both directions yep. on where you get in and the scholarships that you get. Yep. And when you get surprised on the high end, like, oh, as a 3.0175 splitter, I never imagined that I'd get any kind of scholarship to UCLA. Yep. But maybe it's not much of a scholarship to UCLA or WashU or wherever. Yep. Having been through the process and experienced that, the best decision might be to walk away. It's very difficult to make that decision when you right. have been when you've been through six months of <laughs> waiting. When are they going to get back to me? Yeah. What's going to happen? Where yep. am I going to be next year? Yep. When do I get to be a lawyer? Yep. But do do they like me? Out the other side of it, though, don't you get a perspective that like the thing is, it's it doesn't have to be that fraught in the first place because I you can just apply this cycle or apply next cycle or whatever. Yes. You get that perspective. I think I just, I, I bring up my experience as a, a warning, I guess, to students who apply before they know that their numbers are in yeah. the best place. I agree. Particularly for the LSAT, because the temptation to just take what you get is yep. so great. It's yeah. hard to walk away, even when walking away is the best call. Yeah. Thing. And that's that you put yourself in a terrible position to have predatory offers made to yeah. you, you know, where they're going to, they are going to admit you, but they're just going to charge you way more than they are willing to, than they're charging everyone else in the program. Yeah. Which is, which is why, and I, I say this in reference to Marvin's second question, should splitters even apply to such law schools as Harvard, Stanford, Yale? I'm just extending that to, should you apply to any school that, is unlikely to give you a good scholarship. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, shoot your yeah. shot. Be willing to get surprised, but also recognize that you have to be able to say no if this dream school just doesn't make financial sense. Yep. And Harvard, Stanford, Yale specifically, they only do merit-based, or sorry, they only do need-based aid. And so, it, you know, it's possible that you, you might be surprised, right? It's possible that you, your price at Harvard might actually be better than your price um, in the middle of the top 14. Because Harvard's like, well, sure. look, yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're great on one metric. You're going to bring us down on this other metric, but you're increasing our diversity numbers, which we're still really interested in. And we don't play that merit scholarship game anyway. We only give need-based aid. So you can end up getting a really good price for the very best product. The problem is people think that like a school ranked, you know, 12th is the same as a school that's ranked second. And it's just not. And if you end up paying, if you end up overpaying for the school that's ranked 12th or 20th or 50th or whatever it is, if you end up overpaying, it's going to be really hard to overcome that that burden 
Uh, should we talk about splitters transferring? Yeah, I do want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, so if you go to lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships, we have organized for you all of the 509 reports down the right hand side of the page. There's a little PDF icon for every school and you can quickly get to the 509 report for, for example, California, Los Angeles, University of. Um, and if you scroll down to the bottom of the second page, uh, that's where you find tuition and fees. If you scroll to the top of the third page, that's where you find out the information on scholarships, including things like 85% of the class at UCLA is getting some form of a grant. In other words, some form of a discount. It's actually really uncommon for people to pay full price um, for that product. Below that even, so now we're down on like the fourth page, there's a table there that says it's uh, schools from which students transferred. So where did people, what was the stepping stone for UCLA? UCLA, um, by the way, let me see. It has a total of 1,038 in the full-time program. If we divide that by three, we assume that their 1L class is, you know, and there's a little bit of attrition. So their 1L class is probably like 350 to 400 maybe. Mm-hmm. Or wait, that's actually at the top of the report as well. Um, oh, wow. They had a smaller class this year. They enrolled 273 from the applicant pool. But how many did, how many transferred in? <laughs> well, one, two, three, four. It tells you on the table to the left of that. Oh, tw- 12 transfers in. Six transfers out from UCLA. It's a good school. People don't normally transfer, but six of them probably went to Harvard, Stanford, Yale. Um, 12 of them transferred in from, you know, I've heard of all those schools. Uh, Michigan is a top 14 school. The rest of those schools are, you know, Fordham 29th. Yeah. I'm looking at Fordham. Some of the LA schools like Loyola Marymount, um, Irvine, USC. I guess the thing to point out is that it's not like a transfer in from, um, just picking some random regional law school. You know, I, I don't think it, it's not just a transfer in from Southwestern law school to UCLA, which is right there in, in Los Angeles. Not last year. Yeah. Not last year. There weren't any transfers. I suppose we could look back and see if there were transfers the year before that Pepperdine, you know, that's a, that is a higher ranked school pretty significantly than uh, Southwestern. I believe. I think one of the interesting things that we see on the, this fourth page of the 509 is in this transfers box they give you the the gda uh, sorry you, they give you the jd1 gpa medians and percentiles that is wild for the transfers in i can't believe i didn't notice that and you can see that the median transfer gpa of to the UCLA 12 who transferred in was a 3.96 holy shit and that's not easy in law school it's hard to get a's in law school Law school usually is going to have a curve around a 3.3. So the mm-hmm. most common grade that, in, you know, the median grade is a B plus. So you're talking about the cream of the crop at BU, Fordham, Michigan, <laughs> USC, who are the right. ones who are transferring into UCLA. Yeah. So it doesn't look good for transfers into UCLA. Um, I'm, I'll look at the same tables for Yale. Um, transfers in, there were nine. 
And they came from Berkeley, UCLA, Cornell, Georgetown, Georgia, Minnesota, Vanderbilt, and Washington. There's a couple there that are, you know, not in the top 14. There's a, there's a yeah. small handful. I've got, I've got Michigan up. There were 12 people who transferred into Michigan. There are some more regional schools. Um, well, yeah, even then, I mean, Iowa, Indiana, Georgia, those are all good schools. Yeah, um, it's, I think, I, I mean, and the other thing to think about is that when you transfer in, your scholarship's not coming with you. Yeah. Um, transferring out, yeah, k- kills the, the deal's only valid at the school that you were going to. And transferring in, that school's like, hey, we know that you started at this other school. Yale is looking down their nose going, yeah, we'll take your transfer from Berkeley. But we don't give a shit about the scholarship that you had at Berkeley. So I think long story short with transfers, it can happen. I would not enroll at a school unless you were okay graduating from that school. Yep. That's the standard advice. That's what I've always said for yep. the, you know, the entire time I've been teaching LSAT is like the, the, just the numbers are so small and you, you have to kill it so hard during the one L year, which is already really difficult to do. You've got to come, you've got to be coming from like a, a competitive school, totally crush it. And then you're throwing yourself at the mercy of the transferring in school where, you know, um, you're not the only person who has that same idea, I guess is the point, right? It's yeah. going to be really very competitive to try to get those grades and then to make that transfer. So it's kind of like a backdoor, uh, not great. We wrap it up there. Yeah, I think that's that. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening.